You're living in the heart of the lion's den, a friend warns. Keep as quiet as possible. Vladislaw Spielmann was one of the great pianists of the 20th century. And he was a Jewish man living in Warsaw in Poland at the time of the Nazi regime. And he was unable to get out and he was living opposite a Nazi hospital. And these were the words of his friends. You're living in the middle of the lion's den. Keep as quiet as possible. What Vladislaw did was, after hearing those words, he went, he opened up his piano, and as the movie portrays, the most thunderous, the most triumphant, the most glorious music gets played as he defies the odds. As the camera zooms up, what you see is that his fingers aren't actually touching the keys. And you realize that the music is in his head and in his heart as he realizes the situation that he is facing. Some of you may have watched that movie, The Pianist. Some of you may not. But those words captivated me as we are looking at this wisdom series, as we're looking how do we live a life in today's day and age when we're in the heart of the lion's den, when culture is screaming at us Christians, keep as quiet as possible. We don't want your voice here. If we hear your voice, you will be outcast. You will be persecuted. Your views on the scriptures are so counter the views of culture, we don't want you around. Today, as we look at part two of Proverbs, I'm wanting us to try and gain that heart that Vladislaw had, where we, because of the culture we live in, are not forced into the quiet place, but that thunderous, that triumphal, that glorious music can still reside within us. As we shape our eyes and as we look at the one true God who can lead us through all things. As we've been going, I do want to just take a minute to, uh, to recap the last two weeks. And so for those that have been here for the last two weeks, thank you. Uh, I'm going to remind you uh, because it has been proven by, by human scientists, by the social sciences now, that um, we officially have a memory as long as a goldfish. Genuinely. Our, our memory has gone to seven seconds. I think those of us that are a little bit older because we're not gathered around digital as much, we might still be upwards of 10 seconds. But, uh, so I'm trying to be helpful here. And so we started a series uh, looking at Ecclesiastes. We looked at Proverbs last week. We're looking at Proverbs this week. And next week, we're going to look at Job. These are the three books of the Bible. And the Bible is a collection of writings. It's a collection of books. It's a library of books that all point towards Jesus who's able to make sense of living in a world where we are living opposite our greatest enemies, and our greatest enemy. And so 
we learned last week, that, or we learned two weeks ago, that Proverbs is like the young, brilliant teacher, the brilliant mind who has wisdom on things of sexuality and relationships, marriage, kids, uh, on relationship with wealth and how we handle money, on character. So it's this brilliant young mind. And then Ecclesiastes is this middle-aged critic. He's got some life experience behind him. Uh, maybe he's dropped his gaze a little bit and he's become a little cynical, but there's some wisdom there. And then Job is like the old weathered dude who has gone through life life and seen stuff, and he puts it down onto paper for us. And so if we want to gain wisdom from the scriptures, our responsibility is to read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job collectively, not just pick and choose bits and pieces out of it. Uh, That's not the way we should read the writings. And so as we looked at Ecclesiastes, there was this overarching perspective of the author, and this was this, that time and death are all out of our control and happen to both, to all of us. Both happen to all of us. Time, nothing really ever changes. You've heard me say this, that there was a mountain a hundred years ago, and if you stood on it, it's not telling the story about you, but you're telling the story about it. And then a hundred years' time, it doesn't remember that you climbed it. And so time, nothing really changes, and then death happens to all of us. It's the great equalizer. Whether we're rich or poor, black or white, or Indian, or whatever race, whether we're educated, uneducated, rich, poor, death happens to all of us. And so through that perspective of this middle-aged critic, of this Ecclesiastes writings, we get time and death. And what the encouragement is, is actually that life is like smoke. We can see it, there's evidence of it, but you can't actually grasp it. And so if we want to truly be able to take hold of the life that God has for us, we've got to learn to let go of what's not in our control. Too often we just spend our time trying to control that which is uncontrollable, and we end up not experiencing life as it truly is, but always wanting to experience it how it ought to be in our own minds. And so that is what Ecclesiastes was all about, and we learned that we should live joyfully, colorfully. That lasted one week. (laughs) That we should accept For those that are new here, we decided to dress up colorfully for the week after learning that we should live joyfully and all of that. We should accept that our control is limited and we should choose to be a person of substance rather than image. That was two weeks ago. Then last week, we started this the, the look into Proverbs and the key perspective is this. That those who are moving toward the Lord are called wise. Those who are moving away from the Lord are called foolish or fools. And those that are just not moving at all in relation to the Lord are called simple. And there's this idea of this, the, 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 the original word translated as this word kuchma, which means wisdom. And that wisdom is not, it's not an, an attribute in the sense of it's... Um, It's this intangible thing. It's an attribute that's been in the DNA of all creation. So God, because wisdom is part of his makeup, when he created, there is an order and a way creation moves in a direction. And so we can either surrender to that, and therefore life can go well for us, or we can fight against it, and we wonder why things are always going poorly or badly for us. And so the key outcome of our first week of Proverbs was this, that wisdom and fear of the Lord lead to virtue. It's not a word that we really use today, but like doing things right, righteousness, which is showing just high moral standards in a culture where we all know that moral standards, if they exist at all, are radically decaying. 
integrity, which I love this, the state of being undivided, that that which is in my heart is actually my action, what I think, and then of generosity, the quality of being plentiful or large. But folly and evil lead to selfishness and to pride, which leads to ruin and shame. That was last week's wisdom teaching. And so now we come into this week, and it's part two of the book of Proverbs. But just to keep us on our toes, I'm going to open up with a psalm. Is that all right? Because all of God is God, all of Scripture is God breathed and talks about Jesus. Um, but we're going to start in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, and it says this: Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Who desires a heart of wisdom? Just want to know who I'm talking to in the room here. Okay, about a third of us want to become wise. That's great. I would invite the rest of you to also desire a heart of wisdom. It will go well with you. Um, I won't ask again. Uh, but uh, I, I trust that we would all desire a heart of wisdom. Uh, but I love this. So this is Moses. He writes one psalm, Moses, and it's this psalm. And uh, he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so uh, just looking at this, and then we'll get into some Proverbs and the wisdom that Proverbs teaches around this. But just what does it mean to teach us our days? Teach us, teach us to number our days. I think there are a couple of things that just uh, kind of jump out off the page. First, teach us. That takes the position of student. And so if we desire to gain a heart of wisdom, uh, we've got to carry a disposition of, hey, actually, there's someone that can teach me. Uh, it's not a common disposition in humanity today. It's culture shouting back at us, hey, you keep quiet. I've got the answers. But actually, if we want to gain a heart of wisdom, it starts with teach me, God. Teach me, Lord. So today, the invitation for all of us sitting in this room is that we would come as children before a loving Father who's teaching us the way of life, teaching us how to stand, teaching us how we can be triumphant and allow glorious music to play from our lives in the midst of culture screaming against us. The second thing uh, I see here is to number our days. Uh, that would indicate that our days have a beginning and have an end. Uh, I think that's easy to understand, and we put that into the context of Ecclesiastes. Death happens to all of us. And so, uh, but here's the, here's the funny thing. We, we were sitting in our preaching team meeting, and uh, a, a person who, who was part of that team was, uh, was sitting there, and uh, she's reached a certain age where her days ahead of her are less than the days behind her. And suddenly what's happened is the value of each of those days has increased as you start to realize that there is a limit. And so actually the, the, value, of our, the value of our days is determined by how many we have left more than how many we've lived. And so the psalmist writes here, teach us to number our days. Okay, we have a finite number. And for all of us young guys, me included, uh, for all of us young guys, we sometimes think that oh, there's no end to our days, but actually there is an end to our days. And then for all the older guys, on this side, <laughs> there is the stark realization that one day my days are going to end. Teach me to number my days. There's this humility and value. 
And so actually gaining a heart of wisdom is, is this understanding of humility and value. Humility and value. I, I take on the disposition of a student before a teacher. I will learn. Each day of my life, I will learn. I will gain wisdom. And I know that each day is numbered. So we start to move in a certain direction. That's just teaching us the number, to number our days. And then to gain a heart of wisdom. What does that actually mean, to gain a heart of wisdom? And so just a definition that I'll throw out, but I'm by no means choosing to, uh, to be the definition of gaining a heart of wisdom, but it's something that can be helpful for us would be this. A heart of wisdom is knowing and discerning so that we can apply the truth of the Word of God at the right time, in the right way, with the right motive, and all three have to be present. Take this for an example. In Numbers chapter 20, we are reminded of a story of God blessing His people, His chosen people, Israel. So He, he decides that He's going to uh, choose one family uh, that become this nation called Israel, and He's going to bless them so that every other nation of the world would stop fighting them and actually start to realize that there is a God in heaven who blesses them and looks after them and protects them, and that they would start to worship their God. And so that God in heaven would become all the nations God. But there's this moment where God is busy redeeming them and he's, he's, they're, they're in the desert and they're moving towards their promised land and uh, the people are just complaining, complaining, complaining. Like that middle-aged critic. It's like Ecclesiastes without chapter 9, which is the summary. It's like chapters 1 to 8 just complaining and complaining and nothing's working and everything I give my hand to and it's just meaningless and it's meaningless and it carries no value. And then the people are complaining because they're busy uh, dying of thirst. And Moses goes to God and he says, what, what have you done to me? You've called me to lead these people, but now they're dying of thirst. What am I supposed to do? How, do I, how can I create water? And God says, I'll just speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and water will come and I will... Give enough water for them to all be, uh, to be, uh, have their thirst quenched and all the animals, etc., etc. And Moses goes back and he says, you rebels. That's how the scriptures put it. You rebels. You people who complain and moan all the time. You rebels. He says, I'll show you. And instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock. And water gushes out because God is good. And then he calls Moses aside afterwards and he says... Hey, my bud, you did not do that with the right motive. You did not do that with a heart of wisdom. I'm sorry, but your inheritance is disqualified from you. You are disqualified from your inheritance. And so this thing of teaching our, our, to us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, we need to understand that our inheritance is tied to us gaining a heart of wisdom because gaining a heart of wisdom is that we would know and discern how we should act according to the truth of God at the right time, in the right way, and with the right motive. Moses gave 80 years of his life, 40 in the desert, on his own, and then 40 leading Israel to get them to the promised land. And because he lost the way, because he lost focus for a moment, because he took his eyes off of the God of heaven and he put his eyes onto a rebellious people and started to act according to the culture of the people, he acted in the same way, complaining, he loses his inheritance. 
My desire for us as we live in this culture like the pianist, we have culture shouting at us, and we may shout different things back, but we're still shouting, we're still acting in the same spirit of the culture at us. How can we live differently? How can we live this fullness of life that Jesus says he came to give us? How can we take hold of that? How can we take hold of that? And so there's two things I want to just chat around today. The first is this, that we are to guard our heart. Proverbs chapter 4, 20 to 27, there's this beautiful piece of wisdom hidden. And, and remember the first nine chapters of Proverbs that I taught last week is a father giving his son uh, lessons. He's, 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 it's captured in essay form, but it's, it's a father giving son advice. And he says this, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet or your foot from evil. Above all else, guard your heart. Uh, most of you here would know the Aquile brand of water. Aquile. So I, I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to go to their actual manufacturing plant. Uh, it's, it's quite a setup. Um, but uh, Aquile is, is actually, it's, it's a group of people that love Jesus. And they desire to serve a very impoverished community where they were. And they found this spring, this natural water source. And uh, in the early days, the community would be living and everything in the, in the natural water source would be open. Um, but what they started to notice was the, the very provision of what allowed them uh, access. So, that, so the money from the bottled water which allowed them to serve the community was starting to get polluted. And so they've literally built Fort Knox over their spring. And so when you go there now, that spring, you can't get in there. It has very limited access. They've guarded, the, the, they've guarded their spring from which everything flows. And so the community gets a whole lot of benefit because they've guarded their heart. They've guarded their spring. And so in the like way, uh, we want to be a blessing to all of those people around. We want to be a blessing to the community. We want to be those that when people come and take a piece of our lives, their, their lives are enriched because of it. They're blessed because of it. They're not impoverished because of it. But sometimes what we don't know, what we lack wisdom in, is how do we protect our hearts? How do we guard our hearts? How do we live in this, Jesus, lay down your life for others, and Jesus, I'm actually going away on my own. People are looking for me. How do we live in that? And we, we tend not to really do the deep wrestle of what the wisdom of God says, and so we either live just expending ourselves, and then we find ourselves being polluted and run over, and we've got nothing to give, or we find ourselves hiding away and not really being a blessing to the community anyway. But Proverbs teaches us that we can guard our heart. There is a way that we can look after that very life source and still be a blessing to others. 
We can, we can be those that stand triumphantly, whose marriages look different, our parenting looks different, our children are different, our community is different, there is joy in our heart. We can have all of that stuff in the midst of a culture which is very opposed to all of that and doesn't represent that and doesn't look that, and we can still hold that life flow that goes into, impoverished, in, into an impoverished community. Guard your heart. And it says this, that if we guard our heart, it will be life to those who find it, and it will be health to one's whole body. So there's benefit in guarding our heart. Just in this proverb, how do we guard it? And then we're going to get to uh, kind of spend a bit of the time and just how do we actually guard it? Because it's one thing for me to tell you, guard your heart, and you okay, how? How do I build this Fort Knox around my heart? How do I... How do I do that? And, and we just get a, very, a few simple one-liners which we'll go into now, but it says this. Look straight. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet. Be steadfast in your ways. So we're going to just take a little bit of time to outwork what that looks like. I think thoughtfulness is something in today's day and age that is not highly prized or valued. We like to think we're thoughtful, but the reality is we kind of stop at our first thought. We don't give the Spirit of God time to work something through in us that there is a consideration of how we should live. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. It says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything but I will not be mastered by anything. You may, if those that are a bit older and have been reading their Bibles for possibly a little bit longer, may be more familiar with the words, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. We live today in this independence, this self-authority, and this self-governing, in this, in this self Even those of us who have laid down our lives to Jesus, the self is very much louder than we care for. And we like to think, well, I can just get away with this. It won't create a habit. I'll just do it once. I'll just do this. I'll just do this. I'll just think this. I'll just. And so how do we gain a heart of wisdom? How do we guard our heart? And we're going to find this anchored in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24. This is uh, kind of our anchor piece for today. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wonder to the ends of the earth. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wonder to the ends of the earth. So there's a discerning person and there's a fool. What's the difference? Where their eyes go. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, and a fool lets his eyes wander everywhere. So the difference is what's in view. The difference is focus. Focus, and so we're going to just look at that. And so I've kind of got three th- three questions to ask that will help us in our journey. I trust in becoming or gaining a heart of wisdom today. The, the first question is this: Who am I becoming by the things that I am doing? If you were to do an audit, if you were to give thoughtfulness to the way you live your life now, 
to your practices, to your disciplines or lack thereof, to your thoughts, to your Netflix watching, viewing, uh, viewing habits, to your relationships, your marriage, your dating, your children. If you continue on this trajectory, who are you becoming by doing that? Our desire is that we want to increasingly gain a heart of wisdom, and as we take territory and gain some wisdom in our heart, that we would jealously guard that and build the Aquile Fort Knox to protect ourselves so that the life flow can continue to go. So who am I becoming by the things that I am doing? So this talks around really just about planning and plans. And plans are interesting things. They are, they are important. I mean, no one would trust an architect who came to you and said, I don't really have a plan for how I'm going to build your house or do the alteration, but hey, we'll, just, we'll just go along and we'll figure it out as we go. Like, would you trust that architect? You, you need a surgery done? Hey, Doc, how's it going to look? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure. Let's get in there and see, and maybe I'll pull in an ethetist in, maybe I won't. Like, we're out of there, right? Uber driver. Hey, do you, do you, have, you got a, have you got maps on how to get me to where I want to go? No, 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 my phone's died, I've just, I'll, I'll wing it today. I, I kind of know where the area is, and I'm sure we'll find it in due course. You're out of that Uber, you're ordering another one. But how many of us live our spiritual lives without a spiritual roadmap? We wake up each day and I'll, I'll wing it, this one. I'm sure I'll get there. Hope I'll get there. Who are you becoming by the things that you are doing? One of the ways, one of the ways, and, and this is something that we as a pastoral team are going to work out with us, uh, there's been this language in spiritual formation uh, recently. It's had different names over the, over the generations, but, but today it's called a rule of life. It's a rule of life, and it looks at a few things. It looks at how we can actually order, how can we have an architect's plan, or an Uber driver's roadmap, or a doctor's, a surgeon's surgical plan. Like it, it's, it's being able to put that together for our formation, our spiritual journey, so that we can actually end up where all of us desire to become, which is people that love Jesus, that love other people, and actually we're living in the fullness of life that God has given to us. That's our desire. It's a presumption, but I'm pretty confident that that's what we would choose to do. And so a rule of life is just a, it's a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms to help us create space in this world today for us to be able to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to do what Jesus did. And it looks at a couple of things. There's many different ways to, to do a rule of life. And uh, John uh, is leading the charge in that. And as a pastoral team, we are working, working ours out and so that we can lead us as a community. And so I'm not here to present a rule of life to you, but I am here to say we're going to go on this journey together so that we can have a spiritual roadmap as a people. And there's an important reason why we're all going to do it together, which I'm going to get to. But it's like looking at our life categories of abiding in Jesus. We, we know that scripture which says, abide in me. Abide in the vine. 
It looks at mind, it looks at body, it looks at relationships, it looks at rest, it looks at work and money, it looks at gospel and hospitality. And so it looks at our life and it says, all right, this is how we're going to do things. Because that's what I want to become. Aquile want to be a blessing to their community. They want to run a school because education is not available. All right, how are we going to do that? We're going to protect the spring. We're going to bottle this water that God has given, and we're going to sell that water so that we can fund and so community can be educated. Great, they've got a plan, and it's working. What is your plan to become a follower of Jesus, a greater follower of Jesus? As we go into this plan, just the, the importance of the church being critical to us, we, uh, John Mark Comer says this, there's a working theory of the law of returns applied to spiritual formation. I'll, I'll summarize this. I know there's some language in here. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap another action. Sow some actions, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So a character reap a destiny, either in slavery to the flesh or freedom in the spirit. And so what it means effectively is this, that when an idea pops up in our head, we've got to give that some thought. I'll duck so that you can take a picture. I see a whole lot of cameras, modern day technology. We, we have a whole lot of ideas that come into our mind, but we don't often give thought to them. And so we... We write down, we have this quiet time with God and he, he says something, but we don't ponder it. And three years later, we go back and we read our devotional book and we read it and we go, oh, I haven't taken a step towards that. Because an idea hasn't moved in thought towards becoming something that you believe that is in you. And it's from our beliefs that we start to act. And a whole lot of actions create habits. And a whole lot of habits forms our character. And our character determines where we end up. And so why don't we help each other? Why don't we gain a heart of wisdom and just put a little bit of structure to that so we're more likely to end up where God would desire us to end up than just trying to wake up each morning and say, let's do it. Let's wing it. And so with this comes an important piece of the role of the community, the role of the church. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is returning for his church. We are his church. That's who he's returning for. He's returning for his church. He's returning for us in our collective form. And so there's something about the church that has to become of greater and higher value to us. Because we are the bride that Jesus, by his spirit today, is busy beautifying. And if we are separating ourselves from the church, we're missing out on what Jesus is busy doing. And so we want to throw ourselves into the church. And so one of the things that we are going to be looking at more closely in this rule of life is how do we order our public and our private faith? So I don't think particularly Western Christianity does this very well or has done this very well. And so the public faith is things like our Sunday church services, it's things like our smaller groups, our life groups. It's things like our shared resources, which would be coming through tithes and offerings, looking after one another. It's things like our, our collective prayer times together, our fasting and prayer times together, our public faith. 
And here's the thing. We, if, if I were to say public and private faith, you kind of go like, okay, well, I'm, I'm prepared to do public faith together, but private faith, it's mine. Don't, don't touch mine. But actually, how do we know what family is? How do we identify family? What are some of the things that, that make family family? If you were to come into our home to share a dinner, and you don't know my children, and each of my children has a friend, and so we're all sitting around the dining room table, your observation, you would be able to say, that's a Mungavin. That's a, Mungavin's my surname, by the way. That's a Mungavin. That's a Mungavin. That's a Mungavin. Why? Because there is a private practice that looks the same. They are unique. Trust me, the way Rourke does things is unique but it still carries the mark of a Mungavin. And so there are things in our private faith, and our private faith is looking at prayer and scripture and solitude and Sabbath and fasting. We're looking at these things. How, do we, how does someone identify that you're part of this family and not just coming to a service to receive a blessing? And so again, the gaining a heart of wisdom for us coming out of this wisdom series is that we create greater alignment between our private and our public faith as we order our lives around the rule of life in order that we would become the people that we desire to become by the practices that we are following. And so this message has structured it down, but it, it also all flows up. What we do determines who we become. The invitation from Jesus is to gain a heart of wisdom by asking him to teach us how to order our days, to number our days, and that we would guard that heart of wisdom and that we would do it collectively and so that our thoughts as we give consideration would become beliefs. Our beliefs would become actions. Our actions would become habit. Our habit would become character. And our character would become the destiny that Jesus has called us to. Amen. Amen.